Section 1 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649 by John Winthrop. Section 1, 1630. There are three footnotes for the first page. The first footnote corresponds to the text Easter Monday and reads as follows. The use of the designation Easter Monday is significant. Winthrop has not yet broken from the Church of England and retains the ecclesiastical name. After reaching New England came a sudden dropping of all reference to church holidays. Note that in Winthrop's chronology, March is the first month of the year and February the 12th, September, October, November, and December becoming thus literally the 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th months. As to New Year's Day, an awkward diversity prevailed in the 17th century. It was sometimes the 1st, sometimes the 25th of March. In the journal, New Year's Day is generally March 1st, but not always. Winthrop gives dates sometimes by means of two numerals, the first denoting the month, the second the day. For instance, 7, 6 is the 6th of September. More rarely, the day proceeds. Sometimes, M.O. period stands before the figure denoting a month. When but one number precedes an entry, it usually denotes the day, the month number having been given previously once for all when the month begins. In footnote. The second footnote corresponds to the name Arbella, which is the name of their ship. And the footnote reads as follows. The ship was named for the Lady Arbella Johnson, who was of the company. In footnote. The third footnote corresponds to the phrase Mr. Cradock and reads as follows. Matthew Cradock, a rich London merchant, the first head of the Massachusetts Company, who, however, never came to the colony. A noteworthy service of Cradock's was the proposal July 28, 1629, to transfer the government by the company from London to the colony itself, a measure fraught with important consequences. Cradock maintained a small plantation on the Mystic River. He was a member of the Long Parliament and is believed to have died about 1644. In footnote. Anna Domini, 1630, March 29, Easter Monday. Riding at the Cows, near the Isle of Wight, in the Arbella, a ship of 350 tons, whereof Captain Peter Milbourne was master, being manned with 52 seamen and 28 pieces of ordnance, the wind coming to the north by west the evening before. In the morning there came aboard us Mr. Cradock, the late governor, and the masters of his two ships, Captain John Lau, master of the Ambrose, and Mr. Nicholas Hurlston, master of the Jewel, and Mr. Thomas Beecher, master of the Talbot, which three ships rode then by us, the Charles, the Mayflower, footnote, this has been supposed to be the Mayflower of the Plymouth Pilgrims, in footnote, the William and Francis, the Hopewell, the Whale, the Success, and the Trial, being still at Hampton, footnote, Southampton, in footnote, and not ready, where upon conference it was agreed that, in regard it was uncertain when the rest of the fleet would be ready, these four ships should consort together, the Arbella to be admiral, footnote, in modern phrase, flagship, end footnote, the Talbot, vice-admiral, the Ambrose rear-admiral, and the Jewel a captain, and accordingly articles of consortship were drawn between the said captains and masters, whereupon Mr. Cradock took leave of us, and our masters gave him a farewell with four or five shots. About ten of the clock we weighed anchor and set sail, with the wind at north, and came to an anchor again over against Yarmouth, and the Talbot weighed likewise, and came and anchored by us. Here we met with a ship of Hampton, called the Plantation, newly come from Virginia. Our captain saluted her, and she us again, and the master, one Mr. Blank Graves, came on board our ship, and stayed with us about two or three hours, and in the meantime his ship came to an anchor by us. Tuesday the 30th. In the morning, about ten of the clock, the wind being come to the west with fair weather, we weighed and rode nearer Yarmouth. When we came before the town, the castle put forth a flag, our captain saluted them, and they answered us again. The Talbot, which rode farther off, saluted the castle also. Here we saw, close by the shore of the Isle of Wight, a Dutch ship of one thousand tons, which, being bound to the East Indies about two years since, in passing through the needle, struck upon a rock, and being forced to run ashore to save her men, could never be weighed since, although she lies a great height above the water, and yet she hath some men aboard her. Wednesday, 31st. The wind continued west and southwest with rain. Our captain and some of our company went to Yarmouth for supply of wood and other provisions. Our captain was still careful to fill our empty casks with water. Thursday, April 1st. The wind continued very strong at west and by south with much rain. Friday the 2nd. We kept a fast aboard our ship in the Talbot. The wind continued still very high at west and south and rainy. 
In the time of our fast, two of our landmen pierced a runlet of strong water and stole some of it, for which we laid them in bolts all the night, and the next morning the principal was openly whipped, and both kept with bread and water that day. Saturday the 3rd. The wind continued still at west, and with continual storms and rain. Sunday the 4th. Fair, clear weather. In the morning the wind west and by north, but in the afternoon south-southwest. This evening the Talbot weighed and went back to the cows, because her anchor would not hold here, the tide set with so strong a race. Monday, the 5th. The wind still west and south, with fair weather. A maid of Sir Richard Saltonstall, footnote, Sir Richard Saltonstall, son of a Lord Mayor of London, was founder of a family prominent in every generation of Massachusetts history, and still well maintained. The knight himself returned to England, leaving sons to transmit the name, in footnote fell down at the grating by the cook-room, but the carpenter's man, who occasioned her fall unwittingly, caught hold of her with incredible nimbleness and saved her, otherwise she had fallen into the hold. Tuesday, 6th. Captain Burleigh, captain of Yarmouth Castle, a grave, comely gentleman and of great age, came aboard us and stayed breakfast, and offering us much courtesy, he departed, our captain giving him four shot out of the forecastle for his farewell. He was an old sea captain in Queen Elizabeth's time, and, being taken prisoner at sea, was kept prisoner in Spain three years. Himself and three of his sons were captains in Roe's voyage. Footnote. Doubtless the voyage which Sir Thomas Roe made it to Guiana in 1610. In footnote. The wind was now come about to northeast with very fair weather. In the afternoon Mr. Cradock came aboard us and told us that the Talbot, Jewel, and Ambrose were fallen down into Stokes Bay, intending to take their way by St. Helen's Point, and that they desired we could come back to them. Hereupon we came to council, and we wrote unto them to take the first opportunity of the wind to fall down to us, and Mr. Cradock presently went back to them, our captain giving him three shot out of the steerage for a farewell. Our captain called over our landmen, and tried them at their muskets, and such as were good shot among them were enrolled to serve in the ship, if occasion should be. The Lady Arbella and the Gentlewoman, and Mr. Johnson, footnote, Mr. Isaac Johnson and his wife, Lady Arbella, daughter of the Earl of Lincoln, were in position and wealth the most important members of the ship's company. Johnson, a gentleman of Rutlandshire, contributed to the enterprise more liberally than any other, and was very zealous. It was a severe blow to the colony that the death of the Lady Arbella occurred in August, but two months after the arrival, followed next month by that of her husband, in footnote, and some others went on shore to refresh themselves. Wednesday, the 7th. Fair weather, the wind easterly, in the morning a south gale, but in the afternoon it came about to the south. This afternoon our other consorts came up to us, and about ten or twelve Flemings, and all anchored by us, and the masters of the Jewel and of the Ambrose came aboard us, and our captains, and they went to shore. Towards night there came from the west of Fleming a small man-of-war with a Brazil man which he had taken prize, and came to anchor by us. Thursday, the 8th. About six in the morning, the wind being east and north by fair weather, we weighed anchor and set sail, and before ten we got through the needles, having so little wind as we had much to do to stem the tide, so as the rest of our fleet, we being nine in all, whereof some were small ships, which were bound for Newfoundland, could not get out all then till the ebb. In the afternoon the wind came south and west, and we were becalmed, so as being not able to get above three or four leagues from the needles, our captain tacked about, and putting his four sheets aback stays, he stayed for the rest of the fleet, and as they came by us we spake to them, and about eight in the evening we let fall an anchor, intending to stop till the ebb. But before ten at night the wind came about to the north a good gale, so we put a light in the poop, and weighed and set sail, and by daylight Friday nine we were come to Portland, but the other ships, being not able to hold up with us, we were forced to spare our mainsail, and went on with a merry gale. In the morning we descried from the top eight sail astern of us, whom Captain Lau told us he had seen at Dunrose in the evening. We supposing they might be Dunkirkers, footnote, Dunkirk was in a possession of Spain at that time at war with England, in footnote, our captain caused the gun-room and the gun-deck to be cleared, all the hammocks were taken down, our ordnance loaded, and all our powder chests and fireworks made ready, and our landmen quartered among the seamen, and twenty-five of them appointed for muskets, and every man written down for his quarter. The wind continued north, blank, with fair weather, and afternoon it calmed, and we still saw those eight ships to stand toward us, having more wind than we, they came up apace, so as our captains and the masters of our consorts were more occasion to think that they might be Dunkirkers, for we were told at Yarmouth that there were ten sail of them waiting for us, whereupon we all prepared to fight with them, and took down some cabins which were in the way of our ordnance, 
and out of every ship were thrown such bed matters as were subject to take fire and we heaved out our longboats and put up our waist cloths and drew forth our men and armed them with muskets and other weapons and instruments for fireworks and for an experiment our captain shot a ball of wildfire fastened to an arrow out of a crossbow which burnt in the water a good time the lady arbella and the other women and children were removed into the lower deck that they might be out of danger all things being thus fitted we went to prayer upon the upper deck it was much to see how cheerful and comfortable all the company appeared not a woman or child that showed fear though all did apprehend the danger to have been great if things had proved as might well be expected for there had been eight against four and the least of the enemy's ships were reported to carry thirty brass pieces but our trust was in the lord of hosts and the courage of our captain and his care and diligence did encourage us much it was now about one of the clock and the fleet seemed to be within a league of us therefore our captain because he would show he was not afraid of them and that he might see the issue before night should overtake us tacked about and stood ready to meet them and when we came near we perceived them to be our friends the little neptune a ship of some twenty pieces of ordnance and her two consorts bound for the straits a ship of flushing and a frenchman and three other english ships bound for canada and newfoundland so when we drew near every ship as they met saluted each other and the musketeers discharged their small shot and so god be praised our fear and danger was turned into mirth and friendly entertainment our danger being thus over we spied two boats on fishing in the channel so every of our four ships manning out a skiff and we brought out of them great store of excellent fresh fish of diverse sorts saturday the tenth the wind at east and by north a handsome gale with fair weather by seven in the morning we were come over against plymouth about noon the wind slacked and we were come within sight of the lizard and towards night it grew very calm and a great fog so as our ships made no way this afternoon mr hurlston the master of the jewel came aboard our ship and our captain went in a skiff aboard the ambrose and the neptune of which one mr andrew cole was master there he was told that the bark warwick was taken by the dunkirkers for she came single out of the downs about fourteen days since intending to come to us to the white but has never heard of since she was a pretty ship of about eighty tons and ten pieces of ordnance and was set out by sir ferdinando gorges captain mason footnote sir ferdinando gorges already described in the introduction an important figure in the settlement of new england he failed in maine in sixteen o seven nor were other enterprises more successful the successes of the laden pilgrims in sixteen twenty encouraged further trial in sixteen twenty two he became connected with captain john mason an adventurous london merchant and the two obtained a patent for a tract bounded by the merrimack and kennebec rivers and running back to the lakes which were the sources in sixteen twenty three gorges made an establishment at the mouth of the piscataqua in sixteen twenty nine mason obtained a new patent for new hampshire and mason and gorges and others a patent for laconia further inland through gorges and mason winthrop's colony was embarrassed from the first and soon brought close to ruin a scheme was attempted for organizing a colony to extend from the st croix to maryland which would have involved an abrogation of the massachusetts charter this fell through by reason of the commotions at home preceding the civil war but in sixteen thirty nine gorges was confirmed as lord palatine of maine and taking the royal side vexed to his life's end his puritan neighbors he died soon after the beginning of the civil war End footnote. and others for discovery of the great lake in new england footnote the lake of the iroquois or lake champlain the warwick sailed for the laconia company under the laconia patent of november seventeenth sixteen twenty nine in footnote so as to have intercepted the trade of beaver the master of her was one mr wetherell whose father was master of one of the cattle ships which we left at hampton this day two young men falling at odds and fighting contrary to the orders which we had published and set up in the ships were adjudged to walk upon the deck till night with their hands bound behind them which accordingly was executed and another man for using contemptuous speeches in our presence was laid in bolts till he submitted himself and promised open confession of his offence i should have noted before that the day we set sail from the cows my son henry winthrop went on shore with one of my servants to fetch an ox and tin weathers from which he had provided for our ship and there went on shore with him mr pelham and one of his servants they sent the cattle aboard but returned not themselves about three days after my servant and our servant of mr pelham's came to us to yarmouth and told us they were all coming to us in a boat the day before but the wind was so strong against them as they were forced on shore in the night and the two servants came to yarbouth by land and so came shipboard but my sons and mr pelham we heard went back to the cows and so to hampton 
We expected them three or four days after, but they came not to us, so we have left them behind and suppose they will come after in Mr. Goff's ships. Footnote. Thomas Goff, a London merchant, was one of the patentees of Massachusetts. In footnote. We were very sorry they had put themselves upon such inconvenience when they were so well accommodated in our ship. This was not noted before, because we expected daily their return, and upon this occasion I must here add one observation, that we have many young gentlemen in our ship who behave themselves well, and are conformable to all good orders. About ten at night, cleared up with a fresh gale at north and by west, so we stood at our course merrily. Sunday, the 11th. The wind at north and by west, a very stiff gale. About eight in the morning, being gotten past Skilly, and standing to the west-southwest, we met two small ships, which falling in among us, and the admiral coming under our lee, we let him pass, but the jewel and the Ambrose, perceiving the other to be a Brazil man, and to take wind of us, shot at them, and made them stop and fall after us, and sent a skiff aboard them to know what they were. Our captain, fearing lest some mistakes might arise, and lest they should take them for enemies which were friends, and so, through the unruliness of the mariner, some wrong might be done them, caused his skiff to be heaved out, and sent Mr. Graves, one of his mates, and our pilot, a discreet man, to see how things were, who returned soon after, and brought with him the master of one of the ships, and Mr. Lau and Mr. Hurlston. When they were come aboard us, they agreed to send for the captain, who came and showed his commission from the Prince of Orange. In conclusion, he proved to be a Dutchman, and his a man of war of flushing, and the other ship was a prize he had taken laden with sugar and tobacco, so we sent them aboard their ships again, and held on our course. In this time, which hindered us five or six leagues, the jewel and the Ambrose came foul of each other, so as we much feared the issue, but through God's mercy, they came well off again, only the jewel had her foresail torn, and one of her anchors broken. This occasion, and the sickness of our minister and people, put us all out of order this day, so we could have no sermons. Monday, the 12th. The wind more large to the north, a stiff gale with fair weather. In the afternoon, less wind, and our people began to grow well again. Our children and others that were sick, and lay groaning in the cabins, we fetched out, and having stretched a rope from the steerage to the mainmast, we made them stand, some of one side and some of the other, and sway it up and down till they were warm, and by this means they soon grew well and merry. Tuesday, the 13. The night before it was calm, and the next day calm and close weather, so we made little way, the wind with us being west. Wednesday, 14. The wind southwest, rainy weather in the morning. About nine in the forenoon, the wind came about to north-northwest, a stiff gale, so we tacked about and steered our course west-southwest. This day the ship heaved and set much more than before, yet we had but few sick, and of those such as came up upon the deck and stirred themselves were presently well again. Therefore our captain set our children and young men to some harmless exercises, which the seamen were very active in, and did our people much good, though they would sometimes play the wags with them. Towards night we were forced to take in some sail to stay for the vice-admiral, which was near a league astern of us. Thursday, 15. The wind still at north-northwest fair weather, but less wind than the day and night before, so as our ship made but little way. At noon our captain made observation by the cross-staff. Footnote. The cross-staff was a simple instrument of observation, which preceded the quadrant. It was a cross, the intersection of which was surrounded by a graduated circle, the periphery being thus broken into four equal arcs. In footnote and found we were in 47 degrees 37 minutes north latitude. All this forenoon our vice-admiral was much to leeward of us, so after dinner we bare up towards her, and having fetched her up and spoken with her, the wind being close to southwest, we tacked about and steered our course north-northwest, lying as near the wind as we could, and about four of the clocks, with a stiff gale, we steered west and by north, and at night the wind grew very strong, which put us on to the west domain. About ten at night the wind grew so high, the rain withal that we were forced to take in our topsail, and having lowered our mainsail and foresail, the storm was so great as it split our foresail and tore it in pieces, and a knot of the sea washed our tub overboard, wherein our fish was a-watering. The storm still grew, and it was dark with clouds, though otherwise moonlight, so as, though it was the jewel's turn to carry the light this night, yet, lest we should lose or go foul one of another, we hanged out a light upon our mizzen shrouds, and before midnight we lost sight of our vice-admiral. Our captain, so soon as he had set the watch, at eight in the evening called his men, and told them he feared we should have a storm, and therefore commanded them to be ready upon the deck, if occasion should be, and himself was up and down the decks all times of the night. Friday, 16. About four in the morning the wind slacked a little, yet it continued a great storm still, 
and though in the afternoon it blew not much wind yet the sea was so high as it tossed us more than before and we carried no more but our mainsail yet our ship steered well with it which few such ships could have done about four in the afternoon the wind still west and by south and rainy we put on a new foresail and hoisted it up and stood northwest all this day our rear admiral and the jewel held up with us the night was very stormy all the time of the storm few of our people were sick except the women who kept under the hatches and there appeared no fear or dismayedness among them saturday the seventeenth the wind southwest very stormy and boisterous all this time we bore no more sail but our mainsail and foresail and we steered our course west and by north this day our captain told me that our landmen were very nasty and slovenly and that the gun-deck where they lodged was so beastly and noisome with their victuals and beastliness as would much endanger the health of a ship hereupon after prayer we took order and appointed four men to see to it and to keep that room clean for three days and then four others should succeed them and so forth on the wind continued all this day at southwest a stiff gale in the afternoon it cleared up but very hazy our captain about four of the clock sent one to the top to look for our vice admiral but he could not descry him yet we saw a sail about two leagues to the leeward which stood toward the northeast we were this evening by our account about ninety leagues from Scilly, west and by south at this place there came a swallow and lighted upon our ship sunday eighteenth about two in the morning the wind northwest so we tacked about and steered our course southwest we had still much wind and the sea went very high which tossed our ship continually after our evening sermon about five the clock the wind came about to southeast a good gale but rainy so we steered our course to west southwest and the ship's way was about nine leagues a watch a watch is four hours this day the captain sent to top again to discover our vice-admiral we described from thence to the eastward a sail but we knew not what she was about seven of the clock the jewel bare up so near as we could speak each to other and after we baited some sail so she went ahead of us and soon after eight put forth her light monday the nineteenth in the morning the wind was come about to the northwest a good gale and fair weather so we held our course but the ship made not so good way as when the wind was large this day by observation and account we found ourselves to be forty-eight degrees north latitude and two hundred and twenty leagues west from the meridian of london here i think good to note that all this time since we came from the white we had cold weather so as we could well endure our warmest clothes i wish therefore that all such as pass this way in the spring have care to provide warm clothing for nothing breeds more trouble and danger of sickness in this season than cold in the afternoon the wind came to southwest a stiff gale with rain so we steered westerly till night and then the wind came about to northwest and we tacked again and stood southwest a rear admiral being to leeward of us we bear up to him he told us all of their people were in good health but one of their cows was dead tuesday twenty the wind southerly fair weather and little wind in the morning we stood south and by east in the afternoon west and by north wednesday the twenty first thick rainy weather much wind at southwest our captain overnight had invited his consorts to have dined with him this day but it was such foul weather as they could not come aboard us thursday the twenty second the wind still west and by south fair weather then west northwest this day at noon we found ourselves in forty seven degrees and forty eight minutes and having a stiff gale we steered southwest about four leagues a watch all this day and all the night following friday twenty three the wind still west northwest a small gale with fair weather our captain put forth his ancient in the poop footnote ancient was often used for ensign in old times whether denoting the flag or the flag bearer in footnote and heaved out his skiff and lowered his topsails to give sign to his consorts that they should come aboard us to dinner for they were both a good way astern of us and our vice-admiral was not yet seen of us since the storm though we sent to the top every day to descry her about eleven of the clock our captain sent his skiff and fetched aboard us the masters of the two other ships and mr pinchon footnote william pinchon founder of roxbury and afterwards of springfield massachusetts in footnote and they dined with us in the round house for the lady and gentlewomen footnote the lady arbella johnson the daughters of sir richard saltonstall and the wives of several of the more prominent men in footnote dined in the great cabin this day and the night following we had little wind so as the sea was very smooth and the ship made little way saturday twenty four the wind still west and by north fair weather and calm all that day and night here we made observation again and found we were in forty five degrees twenty minutes north latitude saturday twenty five the wind northerly fair weather but still calm 
We stood west and by south and saw two ships ahead of us as far as we could descry. In the afternoon the wind came west and by south, but calm still. About five of the clock the rear admiral and the jewel had fetched up the two ships, and by their saluting each other we perceived they were friends. For so they were f so far to windward of us we could only see the smoke of their pieces, but could not hear them. About nine of the clock they both fell back towards us again, and we steered north-northwest. Now the weather begins to warm. Monday, 26. The wind still west and by south close weather and scarce any wind. The two ships, which saw us yesterday, were bound for Canada. Captain Kirk, footnote, a brother of Sir David Kirk, Savage surmises, who the year before had with Sir David been concerned in the capture of Quebec, in footnote, was aboard the Admiral. They bear up with us, and following close under our lee, we saluted each other, and conferred together so long till his vice-admiral was becalmed by our sails, and we were foul one of another. But there being little wind, and the sea calm, we kept them asunder with oars, etc., till they heaved out their boat, and so towed their ship away. They told us for certain that the King of France had set out six of his own ships to recover the fort from them. About one of the clock, Captain Lowe sent his skiff aboard us, with a friendly token of his love to the governor, to desire our captain to come aboard his ships, which he did, and there met the masters of the other ships and Captain Kirk, and before night they all returned to their ships again, Captain Lowe bestowing some shot upon them for their welcome. The wind now blew a pretty gale, so as our ship made some way again, though it were out of right course north-west by north. Tuesday, 27. The wind still westerly, a stiff gale with close weather. We steered west-northwest. About noon some rain, and all the day very cold. We appointed Tuesdays and Wednesdays to catechize our people, and this day Mr. Phillips, footnote, the first pastor of Watertown, ancestor of a numerous and distinguished line. Phillips was one of the first to urge congregationalism as an ecclesiastical basis. See Hubbard, General History of New England, page 186. In footnote, began it. Wednesday, 28th. All the night, and this day till noon, the wind very high at southwest, close weather, and some rain. Between eleven and twelve, in a shower, the wind came west-northwest, so we tacked about and stood southwest. Thursday, 29. Much wind all this night at west and by north, and the sea went very high, so as the ship rolled very much, because we sailed but with one course, therefore, about twelve, our captain arose, and caused the foretop sail to be hoisted, and then the ship went more steady. He caused the quartermaster to look down into the hold to see if the cask lay fast and the illegible. In the morning the wind continued with a stiff gale, rainy and cold all the day. We had been now three weeks at sea, and were not come about three hundred leagues, being about one-third part of our way, viz. about forty-six north latitude, and near the meridian of the Terceras. Footnote. The Azores. In footnote. This night Captain Kirk carried the light as one of our consorts. Friday, 30. The wind at west-northwest, a strong gale all the night and day with showers now and then. We made observation and found we were in 44 north latitude. At night the wind scanted towards the south with rain, so we tacked about and stood northwest and by north. Saturday, May 1st. All the night much wind at south-southwest and rain. In the morning the wind still strong, so as we could bear little sail, and so it continued a growing storm all the day, and towards night so much wind as we bore no more sail but as much as could keep the ship stiff. Then it grew a very great tempest all the night, with fierce showers of rain intermixed and very cold. Lord's Day, too. The tempest continued all the day, with the winds west and by north, and the sea raged and tossed us exceedingly. Yet through God's mercy we were very comfortable, and few or none sick, but had opportunity to keep the Sabbath, and Mr. Phillips preached twice that day. The Ambrose and Jewel were separated far from us the first night, but this day we saw them again, but Captain Kirk's ships we saw not since. Monday, 3rd. In the night the wind abated, and by morning the sea was well assuaged, and so we bare our foresail again, and stood west-southwest, but all the time of the tempest we could make no way, but were driven to the leeward, and the Ambrose struck all her sails but her mizzen, and lay a hull. She brake her main yard. This day we made observation, and found we were in forty-three and a half north latitude. We set two fighters in the bolts till night, with their hands being bound behind them. A maidservant in the ship, being stomach-sick, drank so much strong water that she was senseless, and had near killed herself. We observed that it was a common fault in our young people that they gave themselves to drink hot waters very immoderately. Tuesday, 4th. Much wind at southwest, close weather. In the morning we tacked about and stood northwest, and about ten in the morning west-northwest, but made little way in regard of the head sea. Wednesday, the 5th. The wind west and by south, thick, foggy weather, and rainy, so we stood west-northwest by west. 
At night the Lord remembered us, and enlarged the wind to the north, so we tacked about and stood our course west and by south with a merry gale in all our sails. Thursday, 6. The wind at north a good gale and fair weather. We made observation and found we were forty-three and a half north latitude, so we stood full west and ran, in twenty-four hours, about thirty leagues. Four things I observed here. 1. That the declination of the pole star was much, even to the view, beneath that it is in England. 2. That the new moon, when it first appeared, was much smaller than at any time I had seen it in England. 3. That all the way we came we saw fowls flying and swimming, when we had no land near by two hundred leagues. 4. That wheresoever the wind blew, we had still cold weather, and the sun did not give so much heat as in England. Friday, 7. The wind north and by east a small gale, very fair weather, and towards night a still calm. This day our captain and Mr. Lau dined aboard the Jewel. Saturday, the 8th. All the night calm. In the morning the wind southwest a handsome gale, so we tacked and stood northwest, and soon after, the wind growing more large, we stood west-northwest with a good gale. About four of the clock we saw a whale, who lay just in our ship's way, the bunch of his back about a yard above water. He would not shun us, so we passed within a stone's cast of him, as he lay spouting up water. Lord's Day, 9. The wind still southwest a good gale, but close weather and some rain. We held on our course west-northwest. About nine it cleared up, and towards night a great fog for an hour or two. We are now in forty-four and a half north latitude, and a little west of Corvos. Footnote, one of the Azores. In footnote. Monday, the 10th. The wind south-southwest a good gale and fair weather, so we stood west and by north four or five leagues a watch all this day. The wind increased, and was a great storm all the night. About midnight our rear admiral put forth two lights, whereby we knew that some mischance had befallen her. We answered her with two lights again, and bare up to her, so near as we durst, for the sea went very high, and she lay by the lee, and having hailed her, we thought she had sprung a leak, but she had broken some of her shrouds, so we went a little ahead of her, and bringing her foresail aback stays, we stayed for her, and about two hours after she filled her sails, and we stood our course together, but our captain went not to rest till four of the clock, and some others of us slept but little that night. Tuesday, 11. The storm continued all this day, till three in the afternoon, and the storm went very high, so as our ship could make no way, being able to bear no more but our mainsail about midmast high. At three there fell a great storm of rain which laid the wind, and the wind shifting into the west. We tacked and stood into the head sea, to avoid the rolling of our ship, and by that means we made no way, the sea beating us back as much as the wind put us forward. We had still cold weather, and our people were so acquainted with storms as they were not sick nor troubled, though we were much tossed forty-eight hours together, viz. twenty-four during the storm, and as long the next day and night following, Wednesday twelfth, when we as lay as it were a hull, footnote, a hull means drifting without sail, for want of wind, and rolled continually in a high-grown sea. This day was close and rainy. Complaint was made to our captain of some injury that one of the under-officers of the ship had done to one of our landmen. He called him and examined the cause, and commanded him to be tied up by the hands and await to be hung about his neck, but at the intercession of the governor with some difficulty he remitted his punishment. At night the wind blew at southeast a handsome gale with rain, so we put forth our sails and stood west by south. Thursday, 13. Toward morning the wind came to the southwesterly with close weather and a strong gale, so as before noon we took in our topsails, the rear admiral having split her fore topsail, and we stood west southerly. Friday, 14th. The wind west-southwest, thick, foggy weather, and in the afternoon rainy. We stood west and by south, and after west and by north, about five leagues a watch. We were in forty-four and a half. The sun set northwest and by north, one-third northerly, and towards night we stood west. Saturday, the 15th. The wind westerly all this day, fair weather. We tacked twice to small purpose. Lord's Day, 16th, as the 15th was. Monday, the 17th. The wind at south, a fine gale and fair weather. We stood west and by south. We saw a great drift, so we heaved out our skiff, and it proved a fir log, which seemed to have been many years in the water, for it was all overgrown with barnacles and other trash. We sounded here and found no ground at one hundred fathom and more. We saw two whales. About nine at night the wind grew very strong at southwest and continued so with much rain till one of the clock. Then it ceased raining, but the wind came to the west with more violence. In the storm we were forced to take in all our sails, save our mainsail and so did lower that so much as we could. Tuesday, 18. In the morning the wind slacked, but we could stand no nearer our course than north, and we had much wind all this day. In the afternoon we tacked and stood south by east. 
Towards night, our rear admiral being two leagues to leeward of us, we bear up, and drawing near her, we described some two leagues more to leeward two ships, which we conceived were those of Captain Kirk's, which parted from us in the storm May 2nd. We had still cold weather. Wednesday the 19th. The wind south-southwest, close and rainy, little wind. We tacked again and stood west, but about noon the wind came full west, a very strong gale. So we tacked again and stood north by east, and at night we took off our main bonnet, and took in all our sails, save our main course and mizzen. We were now in 44 degrees, 12 minutes north, and by our account in the midway between the false bank and the main bank. Footnote, Grand Banks. In footnote. All this night a great storm at west by north. Thursday, the 20th. The storm continued all this day, the wind as it was, and rainy. In the forenoon we carried our forecourse and stood west-southwest, but in the afternoon we took it in, the wind increasing and the sea grown very high, and lying with the helm of weather we made no way but as the ship drove. We had still cold weather. Fast in the great cabin, at nine at night, etc., and the next day again, etc. The storm continued all this night. Friday, the 22nd. The wind still northwest, little wind and close weather. We stood southwest with all our sails, but made little way, and at night it was a still calm. A servant of one of our company had bargained with a child to sell him a box worth three d for three biscuits a day all the voyage, and had received about forty, and had sold them and many more to other servants. We caused his hands to be tied up to a bar, and hanged a basket with stones about his neck, and so he stood two hours. Saturday, the 22nd. The wind south-southwest, much wind and rain. Our sprit sail laid so deep in as it was split in pieces with a head sea at the instant as our captain was going forth of his cabin very early in the morning to give order to take it in. It was a great mercy of God that it did split, for otherwise it had endangered the breaking of our bowsprit and top mass at least, and then we had no other way but to have returned for England except the wind had come east. About ten in the morning, and in a very great fret of the wind, it chopped suddenly into the west, as it had done diverse times before, and so continued with a small gale, and we stood north and by west. About four in the afternoon there arose a great storm of wind and rain, so violent as we had not a greater. It continued thick and boisterous all the night. About seven we descried a sail ahead of us, towards the north and by east, which stood towards us. Our captain, supposing it to be our vice-admiral, hoisted up his mainsail, which before us struck down aboard, and came up to meet her. When we drew near her, we put forth our ancient, and she luffed up to get the wind of us, and when she shot, she could not, she bare up, and hoisting up her foresail, stood away before the wind, yet we made all the signs we could, that we meant her no harm, but she would not trust us. She was within shot of us, so we perceived she was a small Frenchman, which we did suppose had been driven off the bank. When she was clear of us, she stood her course again, and we ours. This day at twelve we made observation, and were about forty-three, but the storm put us far to the north again. Still cold weather. Lord's Day, the twenty-third. Much wind, still westerly, and very cold weather. Monday, twenty-four. The wind northwest by north, a handsome gale, and close weather, and very cold. We stood southwest. About noon we had occasion to lie by the lee to straighten our mizzen shrouds and the rear admiral and jewel, being both the windward of us, bare up and came under our lee, to inquire if anything were amiss with us. So we heard the company was in health in the jewel, but that two passengers were dead in the Ambrose, and one other cow. Tuesday, 25th. The wind still southwest, fair weather, but cold. We went on with a handsome gale, and at noon were in forty-three and a half, and the variation of the compass was a point and one-sixth. All this day we stood west-southwest, about five or six leagues a watch, and towards night the wind enlarged with a cold dash of snowy rain, and then we ran in the smooth sea about eight or nine leagues a watch, and stood due west. Wednesday, 26. The wind continued still northwest, a good gale and fair weather, but still very cold, yet we were about forty-three. At night we sounded, but found no ground. Thursday, 27. The wind northwest, a handsome gale, fair weather. About noon it came about to the southwest, and at night rain, with a stiff gale, and it continued to rain very hard till it was near midnight. The stair skiff went aboard the jewel for a hogshead of meal, which we borrowed, because we could not come by our own, and there came back to the skiff the master of the jewel and Mr. Revel, footnote, one of the assistants, in footnote, so our captain stayed them dinner, and I sent for Captain Lau, and about two hours after dinner they went aboard their own ships, our captain giving Mr. Revel three shot, because he was one of the owners of our ship. We understood now that the two which had died in Ambrose were Mr. Cradock's servants, who were sick when they came to sea, and one of them should have been left at Cowes, if any house would have received him. In the jewel also one of the seamen died, a most profane fellow, and the one who was most injurious to the passengers, though much against the will of the master. 
At noon we tacked about and stood west and by north, and so continued most of the day and night following, and had much rain till midnight. Friday, 28. In the morning the wind veered to the west, yet we had a stiff gale and steered north and by northwest. It was so great a fog all this day, as we had lost sight of one of our ships, and saw the other sometimes much to the leeward. We had many fierce showers of rain throughout this day. At night the wind cleared up when we saw both our consorts fare by us, so that wind being very scant, we tacked and stood west and by south. A child was born in the jewel about this time. Saturday, 29. The wind northwest is stiff gale and fair weather, but very cold. In the afternoon, full north and towards north and by east, so we stood west. Lord's Day, 30. The wind north by east, a handsome gale, but close, misty weather and very cold, so our ship made good way in a smooth sea, and our three ships kept close together. By our account, we are in the same meridian with Isle Sable, and forty-two and a half. Monday, 31. Winds northwest, a small gale, close and cold weather. We sounded, but had no ground. About noon the wind came north by east, a stiff constant gale and fair weather, so as our ship's way was seven, eight, and sometimes twelve leagues a watch. This day, about five at night, we expected the eclipse, but there was not any, the sun being fair and clear from three till it set. June, first, Tuesday. The wind northeast, a small gale with fair, clear weather, in the afternoon full south and towards night, a good gale. We stood west and by north. A woman in our ship fell in travail, and we sent and had a midwife out of the jewel. She was so far ahead of us at this time, though usually we could spare her some sail, as we shot off a piece and lowered our topsails, and she brailed her sails and stayed for us. This evening we saw the new moon more than half an hour after sunset, being much smaller than it is at any time in England. Wednesday, 2. The wind south-southwest, a handsome gale, very fair weather, but still cold, in the evening a great fog. We stood west and by north, and west-northwest. Our captain, supposing us now to be near the north coast, and knowing that to the south there were dangerous shoals, fitted on a noon mainsail that was very strong and double, and would not adventure with his old sails as before when he had sea room enough. Thursday, 3rd. The wind south by west, a good steady gale, and we stood west and by north. The fog continued very thick, and some rain withal. We sounded in the morning, and again at noon, and we had no ground. We sounded again about two afternoon, and had ground about eighty fathom, a fine gray sand, so we presently tacked and stood south-southeast, and shot off a piece of ordnance to give notice to our consorts, whom we saw not since last evening. The fog continued all this night in a steady gale at southwest. Friday the 4th. About 4 in the morning we tacked again, the wind southwest, and stood west-northwest. The fog continued all this day, so as we could not see a stone's cast east from us, yet the sun shone very bright all the day. We sounded every two hours, but had no ground. At night we tacked again and stood south, in the great cabin, fast. Saturday 5th. In the morning the wind came to northeast, a handsome gale, and the fog was dispersed, so we stood before the wind west and by north, all the afternoon being rainy. At night we sounded but had no ground, in the great cabin thanksgiving. It rained most part of the night, yet our captain kept abroad, and was forced to come in in the night to shift his clothes. We sounded every half-watch, but had no ground. Lord's Day, 6th. The wind northeast and after north a good gale, but still foggy at times, and cold. We stood west-northwest, both to make Cape Sable, if we might, and also because of the current, which near the west shore sets to the south, that we might be the more clear from the southern shoals V's of Cape Cod. About two in the afternoon we sounded, and had ground at about eighty fathom, and the mist then breaking up, we saw the shore to the north about five or six leagues off, and were, as we supposed, to the southwest of Cape Sable, and in forty-three and a quarter. Towards night it calmed, and was foggy again, and the wind came south and by east. We tacked, and stood west and by north, intending to make land at Aquamenticus, being to the north of the Isles of Shoals. Monday 7th. The wind south, about four in the morning we sounded and had ground at thirty fathom, and was somewhat calm, so we put our ship a stays and took, in less than two hours, with a few hooks, sixty-seven codfish, most of them very great fish, some a yard and a half long, and a yard in compass. This came very seasonably, for our salt fish was now spent, and we were taking care for victuals this day, being fish day. After this we filled our sails, and stood west-northwest with a small gale. We hoisted out a great boat to keep our sounding the better. The wind was now very cold. We sounded at eight and at fifty fathoms, and being cold, we heaved out our hooks again, and took twenty-six cods, so we all feasted with fish this day. A woman was delivered of a child in our ship, stillborn. 
The woman had diverse children before, but none lived, and she had some mischance now, which caused her to come near a month before her time, but she did very well. At one of the clock we had a fresh gale at northwest, very fair weather all that afternoon, and warm, but the wind failed soon. All the night the wind was south, and by west a stiff gale, which made us stand to and again with small advantage. Tuesday, 8th. The wind still west and by south, fair weather, but close and cold. We stood north-northwest with a still gale, and about three in the afternoon we had sight of land to the northwest about ten leagues, which we supposed was the Isles of Monhagen, but it proved Mount Mansell. Footnote. Named by Champlain in 1604, Mount Desert. The name Mount Mansell came, Savage presumes, from Sir Robert Mansell, at one time the highest naval officer of England, who was interested in the New England settlements. In footnote. Then we tacked and stood west-southwest. We had much fair sunshine weather, and so pleasant a sweet air as it did much refresh us, and there came a smell off the shore like the smell of a garden. There came a wild pigeon in our ship and other small land bird. Wednesday, 9. In the morning the wind easterly, but grew presently calm. Now we had very fair weather and warm. About noon the wind came to southwest, so we stood west-northwest with a handsome gale, and had the mainland upon our starboard all that day about ten or eight leagues off. It is very high land, lying in many hills, very unequal. At night we saw many small islands, being low land, between us and the main, about five or six leagues off us, and about three leagues from us, towards the main, a small rock, a little above water. At night we sounded, and had oft oozy ground at sixty fathom. So the wind being now scant at west, we tacked again and stood southwest. We were now in forty-three and a half. This high land which we saw, we judged to be at the west cape of the Great Bay, which goeth towards Port Royal, called Mount Desert, or Mount Mansell, and had no island, but part of the main. In the night the wind shifted oft. Thursday, 10. In the morning the wind south and by west till 5. In the morning a thick fog, then it cleared up with fair weather, but somewhat close. After we had run some ten leagues west and by south, we lost sight of the former land, but made other high land on our starboard, as far off as we could describe, but we lost it again. The wind continued all this day at south, a stiff, steady gale, yet we bare all our sails and stood west-southwest. About four in the afternoon we made land on our starboard bow, called the Three Turks' Heads, being a ridge of three hills upon the main, whereof the southmost is the greatest. It lies near Aquamenticus. We descried also another hill, more northward, which lies by Cape Porpoise. We saw also, ahead of us, some four leagues from shore, a small rock, called Boone Isle, not above a flight shot over, which hath a dangerous shoal to the east and by south of it some two leagues in length. We kept our luff and weathered it, and left it on our starboard about two miles off. Towards night we might see the trees in all places very plainly, and a small hill to the southward of the Turks' heads. All the rest of the land to the south was plain low land. Here we had a fine fresh smell from shore. Then, lest we should not get clear of the ledge of rocks, which lie under water from within a flight shot of the said deck, called Boone Isle, which we had now brought northeast from us, towards Pasca to Quack, we tacked and stood southeast, and with a stiff gale at south by west. Friday 11th. The wind still southwest, close weather. We stood to and again all this day within sight of Cape Ann. The Isles of Shoals were now within two leagues of us, and we saw a ship lie there at anchor, and five or six shallops under sail up and down. We took many mackerels and met a shallop which stood from Cape Ann towards the Isles of Shoals, which belonged to some English fishermen. Saturday, 12th. About four in the morning we were near our port. We shot off two pieces of ordnance and sent our skiff to Mr. Bierce's ship, which lay in the harbor and had been there blank days before. About an hour after, Mr. Allerton, footnote, William Pierce, an experienced sailor, and Isaac Allerton, a leading man of Plymouth, were at this time in the service of that colony. Their names will often recur hereafter. Pemaquid lies some fifteen miles east of the Kennebec. In footnote, came aboard us in a shallop as he was sailing to Pemaquid. As we stood towards the harbor, we saw another shallop coming to us, so we stood in to meet her, and passed through the narrow strait between Baker's Isle and Little Isle, and came to an anchor a little within the islands. After Mr. Pierce came aboard us and returned to fetch Mr. Indicott, footnote, Quote, this distinguished father of Massachusetts had, near two years before, been sent to found the plantation in the settlement of Salem, the oldest town in the colony. He had a commission in 1629 from the company to act as governor, which was, of course, superseded by the arrival of Winthrop with the charter. 
with the history of his adopted country that of Endicott is interwoven till the time of his death, 15 March 1655. He served four years as deputy governor and 16 years as governor, end quote, note by Savage, end footnote, and Captain Lovett. We that were of the assistance and some other gentlemen and some of the women and our captain returned with them to Nahumkeg, footnote, Nahumkeg, the name of Salem, which we supped with a good venison, pasty, and good beer, and at night we returned. Saturday, 12th. About four in the morning we were near our port. We shot off two pieces of ordnance and sent our skiff to Mr. Pierce's ship, which lay in the harbor and had been there blank days before. About an hour after, Mr. Allerton, footnote, William Pierce, an experienced sailor, and Isaac Allerton, a leading man of Plymouth, were at this time in the service of that colony. Their names will often recur hereafter. Pimiquid lies some fifteen miles east of the Kennebec, in footnote. Came aboard us in a shallop as he was sailing to Pimiquid. As we stood towards the harbor, we saw another shallop coming towards us, so we stood in to meet her, and passed through the narrow strait between Baker's Isle and Little Isle, and came to an anchor a little within the islands. After Mr. Pierce came aboard us, and returned to fetch Mr. Endicott. Footnote. This distinguished father of Massachusetts had, near two years before, been sent to found the plantation in the settlement of Salem, the oldest town in the colony. He had a commission in 1629 from the company to act as governor, which was, of course, superseded by the arrival of Winthrop with the charter. With the history of his adopted country, that of Endicott is interwoven till the time of his death, 15th March, 1655. He served four years as deputy governor and 16 years as governor, in footnote, note by Savage. Who came to us about two of the clock, and with him Mr. Skelton, footnote, quote, Samuel Skelton, pastor of Salem, came the year before in the same fleet with Higginson. The notices of his history are very brief. That of his death will be found in this volume, August 2nd, 1634. His wife died 15 March, 1631, as we learned from Dudley, who says, She was a godly and helpful woman. She lived, desired, and died lamented, and well deserves to be honorably remembered. End quote. Note by Savage. End footnote and captain lovett we that were of the assistance and some other gentlemen and some of the women and our captain returned with them to nahum keck footnote naum keg the indian name of salem in footnote where we supped with a good venison pasty and good beer and at night we returned to our ship but some of the women stayed behind in the meantime most of our people went on shore upon the land of cape anne which lay very near us and gathered store of fine strawberries an indian came aboard us and lay there all night Lord's Day, 13th. In the morning, the Sagamore of Egawam, footnote, Egawam meaning river, given as a name to Ipswich, as here, to Springfield and other places, in footnote, and one of his men came aboard our ship and stayed with us all day. About two in the afternoon, we described the jewel. So we manned out our skiff and wafted them in, and they went as near the harbor as the tide and wind would suffer. Monday, 14th. In the morning early we weighed anchor, and the wind being against us, and the channel so narrow as we could not well turn in, we warped in our ship and came to an anchor in the inward harbor. In the afternoon we went with most of our company on shore, and our captain gave us five pieces. Thursday, 17th. We went to Massachusetts, footnote. Boston Harbor, where the Blue Hills from which Massachusetts ultimately derives its name were in sight. Samuel Maverick had already established himself at the mouth of the Mystic at Winnesimit, now Chelsea. Blackson, or Blackstone, too, was at Shamut, about to become Boston, while Morton and Weston, as described in the introduction, were at points in the same bay further south, in footnote, to find out a place for our sitting down. We went up Mystic River about six miles. We lay up Mr. Maverick's and returned home on Saturday. As we came home, we came by Natascott, and sent for captain squibb ashore he had brought the west country people viz mr ludlow mr rossiter mr mavericks etc to the bay who were set down at mattapan footnote these were the settlers of dorchester and footnote and ended a difference between him and the passengers whereupon he sent his boat to his ship the mary and the john and at our parting gave us five pieces at our return we found the ambrose in the harbor at salem thursday july first the Mayflower and the Whale arrived safe in Charlton Harbor. Footnote. Charlestown Harbor. Charlestown replaced at once the Indian name Mishawam. The farmer Charlton is derived from jo Captain John Smith's map of New England. In footnote. Their passengers were all in good health, but most of the cattle dead were of a mare and a horse of mine. Some stone horses came over in good plight. 
Friday, too. The Talbo arrived there. She had lost 14 passengers. My son, Henry Winthrop, was drowned at Salem. Footnote. The affliction disposed of here in such brief terms was a sad blow to Winthrop. See his first letters to his wife and son in England. R.C. Winthrop, Life and Letters of John Winthrop, Volume 2, 36 and 39, in footnote. Saturday, the 3rd. The Hopewell and William Francis arrived. Monday, 5th. The trial arrives at Charlton and the Charles at Salem. Tuesday, 6th. The success arrived. She had blank goats and lost blank of them, and many of her passengers were near starved, etc. Wednesday, 7th. The lion went back to Salem. Thursday, 8th. We kept a day of thanksgiving in all the plantations. Thursday, August 18th. Captain Endicott and Blank Gibson were married by the governor and Mr. Wilson. Footnote. The second marriage of Endicott introduces the Reverend John Wilson, the noted pastor of the Boston Church. He was grandnephew of Grindel, Archbishop of Canterbury, had much energy, and was powerfully befriended. He was now a man of 42. John Wilson is one of Cotton Mather's heroes, described in Magnalia Christi Americana, Book 3, entitled Polybius, with other, quote, divines by whose evangelical ministry the churches of New England have been illuminated, end quote, in footnote. Saturday 20th. The French ship called the Gift came into the harbor at Charlton. She had been twelve weeks at sea and lost one passenger and twelve goats. She delivered six. Monday we kept a court. Footnote. Court means general meeting of the company. Either through affliction or absorption in business, John Winthrop's record in this is very meager. Supplying from other sources necessary details, we may note of most important the rapid process of separation from old religious ties. Some of the Massachusetts immigrants, before leaving England, practically adopted Congregationalism. A band from the southern shires sailing a few weeks before Winthrop practiced the new way at Plymouth before departure, which is countenanced by the Reverend John White of Dorchester. These immigrants, landing at Nancasset a fortnight before Winthrop's arrival, presently proceeded to Mattapan and found Dorchester, Palfrey, Volume 1, page 318. Before the summer ended, Winthrop's company organized as a congregational church with John Wilson for its minister, definitely cutting loose from the Church of England and seeking fellowship with the separatists. June 28th of this year, Samuel Fuller of Plymouth, then visiting the newcomers, wrote Bradford that the Reverend Mr. Phillips openly discarded his old ties and that Winthrop sought aid and countenance from Plymouth. Endicott was a, quote, dear friend, end quote, while Coddington, an assistant, declared that John Cotton at Southampton had counseled, quote, that they should take advice of them at Plymouth and should do nothing to offend them, end quote. A Massachusetts Historical Society Collection, First Series, Volume 3, page 74, in footnote. Friday, 27. We of the congregation kept a fast and chose Mr. Wilson, our teacher, and Mr. Noel, an elder, and Mr. Gager and Mr. Aspinwell, deacons. We used imposition of hands, but with this protestation by all, that it was only a sign of election and confirmation, not of any intent that Mr. Wilson should renounce his ministry he received in England. September 20. Mr. Gager died. 30. About two in the morning, Mr. Isaac Johnson died, his wife, the Lady Arbella of the House of Lincoln, being dead about one month before. He was a holy man and wise, and died in sweet peace, leaving some part of his sustenance to the colony. Footnote. The loss of these high-born and generous friends was a severe blow. End footnote. The wolves killed six calves at Salem, and they killed one wolf. Thomas Morton had judged to be in prison till he were sent into England as a house burnt down for his many injuries offered to the Indians and other misdemeanors. Captain Brooke, master of the gift, refused to carry him. Footnote. Thomas Morton, whose performances at Marymount or Mount Wollaston brought down upon his head the vengeance of both Plymouth and of Massachusetts Bay, now returned to England where he posted as a Church of England martyr and in 1637 published at Amsterdam the New English Canaan, a most curious book reprinted in 1883 by the Prince Society under the editorship of Mr. Charles Francis Adams. For an interesting and elaborate account of this picturesque reprobate, see C.F. Adams, Three Episodes of Massachusetts History, Volume 1, Chapters 10 and 11. End footnote. Finch, of Watertown, had his wigwam burnt and all his goods. Billington executed at Plymouth for murdering one. Mr. Phillips, the minister of Watertown, and others had their hay burnt. The wolves killed some swine at Saugus. A cow died at Plymouth and a goat at Boston. Footnote. Here for the first time Winthrop uses the designation Boston, the town in England most familiar to the settlers in general affording the name. In footnote. With eating Indian corn. October 23rd. Mr. Rossiter, one of the assistants, died. 
25th, Mr. Colborne, who was chosen deacon by the congregation a week before, was invested by imposition of hands of the minister and elder. The governor, upon consideration of the inconveniences which had grown in England by drinking one to another, restrained it at his own table, and wished others to do the like, so as it grew by little and little to disuse. 29. The handmaid arrived at Plymouth, having been twelve weeks at sea, and spent all her mass, and of twenty-eight cows she lost ten. She had about sixty passengers, who came all well, John Grant, master. Mr. Goff wrote to me that a shipping this year had utterly undone him. She brought out twenty-eight heifers, but brought but seventeen alive. November 11th. The master came to Boston with Captain Standish and two gentlemen passengers, who came to plant here, but having no testimony, he would not receive them. 10. Blank Furham of Watertown had his wigwam burnt. Diverse had their haystacks burnt by burning the grass. 27. Three of the governor's servants were from this day to the 1st of November aboard in a skiff among the islands, in bitter frost and snow, being kept from home by the northwest wind and without victuals. At night they got to Mount Wollaston and left their boat there and came home by land. Laos Dale. December 6th. The governor and most of the assistants and others met at Roxbury and there agreed to build a town fortified upon the neck between that and Boston, and a committee was appointed to consider all things requisite, etc. Fourteenth. The committee met at Roxbury, and upon further consideration for reasons it was concluded that we could not have a town in the place aforesaid. One, because men would be forced to keep two families. Two, there was no running water, and if there were any springs, they would not suffice the town. Three, the most part of the people had built already and would not be able to build again. So we agreed to meet at Watertown that day, night, and in the meantime other places should be viewed. Captain Neal, footnote, Captain Neal, of whom we have several mentions, came to the Piscataqua in the interests of Sir Ferdinando Gorges, having promised that he would make available the lakes, either Champlain or Winnipesaukee, and the headwaters of the Merrimack, where beaver were abundant, in footnote. And three other gentlemen came hither to us. He kept in the bark Warwick this summer to Piscataqua, sent his governor there for Sir Ferdinando Gorges and others. 21st. We met again at Watertown, and there, upon view of a place a mile beneath the town, all agreed at a fit place for a fortified town, and we took time to consider further about it. 24th. Till this time there was, for the most part, fair open weather with gentle frosts in the night, but this day the wind came northwest very strong, and some wind and some snow withal, but so cold as some had their fingers frozen and in danger to be lost. Three of the governor's servants, coming in a shallop from Mystic, were driven by the wind upon Noddle's Island, and forced to stay there all the night without fire or food, yet through God's mercy they came safe to Boston next day, but the fingers of two of them were blistered with cold, and one sooned when he came up to the fire. 26. The rivers were frozen up, and they of Charlton could not come to the sermon at Boston till the afternoon at high water. Many of our cows and goats were forced to be still abroad for want of horses. 28th. Richard Garrett, a shoemaker of Boston, and one of the congregation there, with one of his daughters, a young maid, and four others, went towards Plymouth in a shallop against the advice of his friends, and about the Gurnet's nose the wind over blew so much at northwest that they are forced to come to a killock, footnote, a rude anchor consisting of a stone enclosed within a frame of wood, at twenty fathom, but their boat drave and shaked out the stone, and they were put to sea, and the boat took in so much water, which did freeze so hard as they could not free her, so they gave themselves for loss, and commending themselves to God, they disposed themselves to die. But one of their company, espying land near Cape Cod, they made shift to hoist up part of their sail, and by God's special providence were carried through the rocks to the shore, where some got on land, but some had their legs frozen into the ice, so they had to be forced to cut out. Being come on shore, they kindled a fire, but having no hatchet, they could get little wood, and were forced to lie in the open air all night, being extremely cold. In the morning, two of their company went towards Plymouth, supposing it had been within seven or eight miles, whereas it was near fifty miles from them. By the way, they met two Indian squaws, who, coming home, told their husbands that they had met two Englishmen. They, thinking as it was that they had been shipwrecked, made after them, and brought them back to their wigwam, and entertained them kindly, and one of them went with them the next day to Plymouth, and the other went to find out their boat and the rest of the company, which were seven miles off, and having found them, he hoped them with what he could, and returned to his wigwam, fetched a hatchet, and built them a wigwam and covered it, and got them wood, for they were so weak and frozen as they could not stir. And Garrett died about two days after his landing, and the ground being so frozen as they could not dig his grave, the Indian hewed a hole about half a yard deep with his hatchet, and having laid the corpse in it, he laid over it a great heap of wood to keep it from the wolves. 
by this time the governor of plymouth had sent three men to them with provisions who being come and not able to launch their boat with which the strong northwest wind was driven up to the high water mark the indian returned to plymouth and fetched three more but before they came they had launched their boat and with a fair southerly wind were gotten to plymouth where another of their company died his flesh being mortified with the frost and the two who went towards plymouth died also one of them being not able to get thither and the other had his feet so frozen as he died of it after the girl escaped best and one of harwood a godly man of the congregation of boston lay long under the surgeon's hands and it was above six weeks before they could get the boat from plymouth and in their return they were much distressed yet their boat was very well manned the want whereof being the cause of their loss end of section one sixteen thirty